0: Hi, all. Good morning, and welcome back to another edition of Hans' Protocol Builders podcast. Uh, today's episode, I'll be talking with Griff Green. Uh, Griff might lay claim to one of the most extensive resumes in Web3, uh, having been involved with or co founded the DAO, Dapnode, the White Hat Group, and the Token Engineering Commons, and more recently, dedicating his time to reinventing the future of public goods with giveth.io. How you going, Griff?
1: We're uh, living the dream, man. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of things to do, so sure. When people say my resume, is I get tired. <laughs>
0: are you still involved with any of the other projects, or is the time entirely dedicated towards Giveth at the moment?
1: You know, for me, Giveth, Star, uh, really the whole, all of these projects are really just one giant push to reinvent public goods and to make it as profitable, to actually, provide public goods for society. So yes, I mean, in, I'm involved in all of.
0: You. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome to hear. And I think that's the great, the great thing about this space as well, as you can be involved across projects.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously the DAO, I'm not so involved in. And the, <laughs> the White Hack the White Group has dissolved for sure as well. But the rest of them, I'm still, I'm still looking on. You go.
0: What, what was it that brought you to the space in the first place? Because it obviously was very early.
1: Honestly, I'm a crazy crypto anarchist. Uh, well, at the time, I was just an artist, and I really didn't like the base. So this is like 2012, 2011. I didn't even have a thing more. I was using physical gold and silver to store value. I was a chemical engineer, and so I was making some money, and I literally drive to the Mint in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, I was looking in Seattle, and I would buy physical gold and silver with my paycheck. So I uh, uh, and then eventually, I just even quit the chemical engineering biz and became a full-on hippie traveling the world. And uh, when I found out more about Bitcoin, I was, I was infatuated. you know gold and silver are kind of annoying to deal with.
0: Were you so was that even before you were involved in actual projects, or was it as soon as you discovered it, you jumped right in?
1: Yeah, this is 2013. I got involved in like just watching Reddit and following this space, And then 2014, after Bitcoin went to $1,000, I, I became stuck. I, I made a, a nice, not a lot of money, like 20, 000, right? And I was like, whoa, 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 hold on. I can live off this for a couple of years. What is going on? Uh, so I lived very cheaply. And, and then I just got sucked down the rabbit hole. I actually went to Ecuador my first project is trying to be like Andreas Antonopoulos of Ecuador. And I just went down there to build community. And I would literally knock on classrooms and, in, on their doors and just like surprise the computer science teacher and say, Hey, can I give everyone a class Bitcoin? in broken Spanish? And, uh, <laughs> and they'd let me in. Uh, Ecuador schooling, I don't know, but they'd let me in. And I would actually like show people how to use signed up for Bitcoin. My life, and I was trying to build a community there, but uh, it became illegal. So Bitcoin, <laughs> they made Bitcoin illegal and I didn't want to end up in prison. So I, I, I got out of there. And, but while I was doing that, I got a master's degree in digital business, or I started working on that shit.
0: And then, so you, like a, a lot of early adopters, I think Bitcoin sounds like the obvious entry point, but you're obviously now a massive advocate for the Ethereum ecosystem as well. Um, what sort of the the tale of that journey towards a uh, programmable digital currency?
1: Well, uh, you know it was funny. While I was getting that master's degree, uh, there was a homework assignment that was to create uh, a wealth on Bitcoin. That was the assignment, and I was more interested in altcoins in general, and for a lot of them. in the 15th case. even then, you see it's so saying Bitcoin, and so I, I used Ethereum instead. And it took me, you know, I don't even really know how to code, or I didn't, I know how to code better than I did then. And it took me about four hours while everyone else was working for days and days to try to make a will contract on Bitcoin, And on Ethereum, I actually posted this up on uh, on a Slocket vlog, but I'd already started using Slocket. And everyone in the Ethereum space is so nice to me. You know, I was used to the other crypto Reddits where everyone's so mean about everything. And, uh, you know, I posted some bad code, and everyone's putting their play, and they're like trying to help me improve it and stuff. And it's like, where am I? Everyone's so <laughs> lovely, Debbie. I want to be in the Ethereum
0: space. And you've you stayed ever since. <laughs> of course.
1: Well, you know, my, the project I started instrumenting for was Slockit when we launched the DAO. Right. And I was the first employee. So Basically, I said, hey, Slockett, I will work for you for three. Please let me get involved. And so I was the first employee. Uh, and and then we launched uh, at this crazy project called the Dell, which raised 14 percent of all DAO in existence. and got half uh, for So like, I mean, this is how many are you really nervous at the time. And now it's countless feelings of ether that were lost in the ball? And so, after leading the effort to rescue and the percent of all into existence, um, the data space loved me and I love it, you know, it was clearly a match really
0: And there seems, seems to be a common trend throughout your work as well, um, that sort of, I guess, embodies like capturing early the value of Web3 in developing these commons projects. What was what was sort of your grounding philosophy in those kind of commons projects and how have you seen that space sort of develop uh, since you've been in the space?
1: I, I mean, for me, it's always been obvious. I, you know, I used to volunteer and, and I've been a very big advocate in the non-profit space and honestly, it just never made sense to me a little bit. It's a little sad. Uh, you know, commons, non profit, public goods, these are all kind of the same thing and Uh, I really think that people need to be rewarded for the value they create. And it shouldn't be hard but the systems we have today don't enable that. And I'm confident that with Web3, we can build those systems. And, And the craziest thing is how it all clicked with Bitcoin. When I saw Bitcoin building a new monetary system using issuance, I felt like we could use this kind of system to effectively replace not only base but also governments, and non-profits are actually how we can replace can When when governments fail to provide value that society demands, people start non-profits. And this, if you think about it, non-profits are the start of a new system. It literally makes non-profits actually sustaining sustainable, profitable. Uh, they can replace governments because governments are not profit Government services are not profit-driven. So, this is the starting point, and the ending point is who knows. But uh, I think it will be a better world.
0: Do you Do you want to go in a, into a bit more discussion about the solution that you're building for public goods funding at the moment with Giveth?
1: Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, like I said, I have several projects. Instead of scaling like Meta or for Google, you know, I'm trying to have everything under one brand, Giveth has spun out countless projects, whether it's GapNode for just having better decentralized hardware or Bright ID and, and Polygon Burmese and, and identity for scaling and identity. A lot of these projects home spin out of Giveth. And uh, a few of the projects that I'm really focused on are called the Commons Staff, the Token Engineers and, and Giveth. So it's kind of a three headed, a three, like, what is it, like a, a jab, a jab, and a hook. Hey, so uh, Giveth is focused on supporting nonprofits and helping them journey into the lesbian space. Most of the value of what I'm talking about accrues to because Giveth is the platform where nonprofits can build their own regenerative microeconomies and eventually, full-on economies. Uh, CommonSat is actually working with Web3-focused public service projects to perfect this process, right? Uh, to understand, what it take to build a commons, a economy around a public good that wants to be produced? And, and then the token engineering is the first one that we built that has uh, the full solution in place. And the solution is kind of interesting. It involves, uh, you know, really interesting token engineering thing with token like bonding serves, uh reputation systems, voting interesting voting systems, and a lot of interesting technical pieces. But most importantly, it also involves a lot of cultural tooling to make sure that these things are actually creating bottom-up and uh, can be utilized in healthy ways that uh, avoid the... You know the the problems with the systems that we have, to be,
0: like top down, top the like top-down capital deficit. This is this is going to be an intentionally quite broad-based question, but when when you think about your experience with the token engineering commons and the commons stack, are there any examples that kind of pop to mind about like development of say new best practices in tokenomics design or best practices in in protocol design things like that? Uh,
1: you know. All of these systems are so complex, it, and it's about balancing the requirements at FAST. legal requirements, uh, financial requirements, and, and also just like scope requirements. I think it's just going with D. deep. Uh, one of the things that we developed with the token is a common stack that's been really cool, was PRAISE. PRAISE is uh, our own reputation system. So, when you instead of uh, it's a reputation system, you're a reward system. And we learn so much about utilizing it to distribute rewards. One of the biggest problems that the nonprofits face, and honestly, W services, is that they're producing qualitative value. There isn't a clear profit that uh, you can quantify. It's really like, oh, look at the quality that's being produced. Like, How do you rate a sum set? You know, these things are hard. And so uh, praise is designed to take qualitative contributions and turn it into quanti- quantifiable rewards or reputation. And basically, uh, but while also engendering a, a community or a culture attitude gratitude in the community. So uh, let's say, I could say, I want to praise Archie for inviting me onto this podcast. it has been really a good home asking really intelligent questions. Uh, And so I could type that into Discord, and then uh, at the end of the round, all the praise would get quantified. So there's the people who would be rewarded for going through and looking at all the praises and scoring them. Now, not all the praises, they would get a subset of praises so that it's like so much work. And maybe there'd be like uh, 100 people sending and receiving frames to each other, uh, 10 to 15 people reading reading a section of the praise scoring it. And then at the end, there's a reward system, right? And everyone gets this reputation. One of the things that we learned that with reputation is really cool. Uh, but with rewards, it gets a little dicey. Uh, you know, the money is weird. Money has like these weird behaviors. And so we're still, uh, I think it works really well for reputation right now, but we're in the applied research phase. And once we applied money to it, people got less interested in actually doing a complication and doing the work, which is funny because with coordinate, another awesome low system in the Web3 space, it actually works better with rewards than it does reputation because when people are tasked to just assume the reputation, they don't show up. And so, you know, there's there's so much interesting research when you get into the leads and you actually start playing with these tools. There's so much, there's so many things to learn. And and honestly, maybe it's just small synthesis. Uh so we need to deploy these things that do phones and these are micro causing so many different tables that we have to understand to make these things a success. Uh that uh we're we're still working and that's why Solomon Stack is really going to be a side research side of things where we're just trying to launch as many phones as we all we'll phone polar phones, thin parties in the web three or web two space, people who wanna launch their own DOS and work with them to actually try to try to do it. With bombing tours and, and all in school place, so that they can actually be, instead of having to request donations, which is where most of them are wrong, people could actually invest in money and have a natural almost, uh, it's not the exact same, but it's almost kind of like a seed loan and then an A loan and a B loan for a non profit.
0: I think that the really interesting point from, from that discussion that you've just had there was the fact that financial incentives or crypto economic incentives were in many cases less effective than, say, reputational incentives in, say, like uh, charitable projects, right? So what what sort of work are you guys doing with Giveth, if any? Because there's been this sort of, I've noticed in, in the entire Web3 space, a shift towards uh, reputation-based projects. I think sort of the the cornerstone of that being sort of the idea of bound tokens. How are you integrating, say, someone's giveth reputation and making that a part of their, say, universal identity instead of just being isolated in that giveth silo?
1: Totally. So the, the high-level high level thought pattern is that uh, we need influence. If we want to change the non-profit and, uh and just do it better, we need input from capacitor, labor, and expertise. But labor and expertise might be forced to sell transferable tokens. And so they would lose their voice. And capital or would eventually achieve its voice if all users choose. tokens. So we need to integrate to and reputation uh, to actually force, uh, to, to create other rights that we're going in the that that good. On a on a personal like Giveth level, we actually have had Soulbound tokens or re- our reputation systems for many years. Uh we call it the reputation DAO, the Giveth, Giveth Reputation DAO, or R give is the type of thing. And so anybody who's worked for Giveth for three months can uh, up for more than three weeks uh, on a quarterly basis can actually apply for you know, a R R-give distribution. And this, this distribution, and now it's actually the nrgiv distribution upgrade so upgraded our DAOs. And so now it's the nrgiv token, but that's just the technicality. Uh, and, and what's cool is that uh, if you stop contributing, you, do, you still have your nrgiv touching. So you still have the expertise, uh, and you can still vote in your DAO. But every new role, uh, there's kind of a equation, uh, and it follows the field option sequence. sequence. So, the first quarter, we gave everyone one token. The next quarter, we gave everyone two tokens. The next day, we gave everyone three tokens. The next quarter, we gave everyone five tokens. And now we're actually at least giving everyone 34 tokens. And the next, next one will be like 60, it'll be like 50 tokens. And so you can see, like as you work in Chile, and then you, you stop stinting, uh, you still have a say, but your repetition is called the inflated oil. And the idea is to try to keep it so that the people who are recent and particularly young still have a large percentage of voice in the reputation.
0: Yeah. I think another, another really interesting point that you touched on earlier was this really murky space of impact measurement. I know in old school boots on ground volunteering, they were trying to like quantify like social return on impact metrics and things like that. How, how do you see Web3 sort of changing impact measurement? Do you see it as being an important thing? And in, in that case, how do you prioritize which projects are, are getting funded on Giveth?
1: You know, impact measurement is going to be an impossible past. Impact measurement is not something that can be solved. It's something that can only be managed. So the question is, how do we manage it? And right now, Giveth does not manage impact assessments. We want to eventually, and we're starting to dip our toe into it, but mostly in just like making sure that the projects that are on our platform are impactful and continuously being updated. And, you know, it's more, it is a lot of things that can be quantified, like, are you actively like updating your project and telling us what's going on? Uh, but there's also just projects that, you know, we start to lose faith in, and unfortunately, this is, like I said, it's something like that you only, only understand that means it has people. You know, uh, Web3 can build unique systems that can quantify things, but quantifying intact is, um, yeah, it, it's going to be a challenge. I think that you know, if we want to do it in a decentralized way, we will need to have different students that are uh, giving different assessments. I really, I'm also a delegate for autism, and I really like what they what they started to do in some of their uh, committees. The they have little committees that uh, rate each proposal, so that delegates like me really who are super busy and all over the place can then actually read the committee's uh, system like suggestion, and then uh, decide ourselves. But then when you don't agree with the, the official committees, there's been a shadow committee that popped up. And actually, sometimes the shadow committee disagrees with the actual uh, more official committee. And so then what does the delegate do? The delegate has to like look at these things. But I think that's healthy. And I think that's the system that we need to impact the issues in general is, different groups that make their own assessments based off of the three criteria and the three experience and having competing groups do it. But we're a long ways from there. Uh, you know, we're, we're still, uh, we're still launching our RAPI system, which is the, uh, traditional pseudocytic methods, and then we'll start augmenting them within impacts.
0: I think another, another one of the really interesting methods that you guys are applying at Giveth is the idea of quadratic funding. Uh, it, it's something that a lot of people are sort of hinting towards it as being the logical solution for a lot of these issues. Could you give me a bit of an explain like I'm five version uh, to, to easily understand uh, an idea with a mathematical term at the front of it?
1: <laughs> sure, sure. So, uh, quadratic funding is mostly pushed by Gitcoin. And so, Giveth hasn't hinted entities yet, but um, this is mostly just resources, honestly. GitPoint uh, has a lot more resources, and Quadratic Funding has this one requirement that you have to understand uh, that each person is an individual person. And this is a huge challenge, and they have a huge team of people that are analyzing this data to try to detect to what people call as civils, as in one person pretending to be a hundred people, uh, because the way Quadratic Funding works is that the more funds that are the in a traditional matching pool, right? So quadratic funding is a matching, uh, is a matching donation. Pool. I like to call policy policies. They're supposed to be policy. Uh, so this is like a matching pool. And in a normal matching pool, if you donate $100 and maybe you get 50% match, then, you know, $50 is something from the matching pool that's as the issue. But quadratic funding adds an extra dimension to it. It's not just about how much money your project gets, but we also consider how many individual people don't need to a project. And uh, so uh, project funding uh, can be adjusted. It is a formula that we can came to do. And GitForm is taking responsibility a little bit to adjust to what they've been discussed. But uh, in, in, in its most basic terms, you have a large pot of funds that will be distributed to a collection of budgets based off of how many people don't need today and how much money was done. And, and it's really cool. It's a really cool system. It it allows you to have with just like one dollar or an issue, you can have a huge impact on how much money a project gets to the mansion. So uh, it's it's a really it's a little really interesting interesting project, but it does require this really difficult problem. It's just another problem that can only be managed. Uh, is and, and that's making sure that you don't have one person pretending to a 100 people donating with $1 to this funds. Bitcoin has really cool solutions. Uh, they're just about to come up with the grants 2.0 platform and give it folks to integrate with it uh, and bring it onto to our platform and build on top of it with them.
0: The quadratic funding is a really fascinating and innovative solution to the capital problem. And I think another thing that you highlighted earlier was that it is sort of a, a tripartite problem Right, you've got financial capital problems, expertise problems, and labor problems. Um, what, are, what are sort of the emerging solutions in the expertise and labor space when it comes to developing these public goods?
1: Well, what we're thinking about in, in uh, well, mostly the common stuff, actually, <laughs> and I work on all these projects, but it's all one effort, you know, uh, is, is just being very explicit about it. You know, distributing expertise and labeled tokens, reputation, uh, as, as it's produced. And then, uh, being very explicit with the capital token. Now, what's interesting though is the capital tokens is a really full cool city. So, uh, what, what you can do is the people who are providing label and expertise, they can also get, uh, the capital tokens that's the capital that get. And with the, with the farming service that we, that we use, it's called the automated farming service. They have a system called a hatch and you can think of it as like a seed land where people send money to their seed land. And then just like in a normal company, the, the people with expertise and the advisors in the team of a project would also get some uh, capital allocation. So, it's, it's really taking what's booked from the default world in, in the capitalist system and applying it to commie, applying it to uh, you know, for, uh, the traditional non-profit world. Don't try to change too much, but you have to make it work uh, in different ways uh, without revenue in the system. Have, that's what they see. So uh, it's actually very similar to, uh, to a tritious seed round investment where capital puts money in, they get some shares, but sort of the people with expertise, and then you try to
0: create value with a system. Another, another really interesting design space that Giveth incorporates is that of regenerative finance. And I know that that term captures a lot of what we've already discussed. Um, but again, n- another big buzzword, and I'd, I'd love to hear what sort of your, your definition is of it for, for newbies in the space.
1: So, uh, you know, nonprofits are begging for money right, uh, and governments require taxes. These are not sustainable nor are they regenerative. But uh, a sustainable organization could have uh, some kind of income coming in that would uh, uh, allow them to be net mutual, right? But regenerative means they're actually making a profit. Now, with, uh, with non-profit type groups, uh, this is really difficult because there's no revenue. Uh, there's this concept of uh, uh, public goods and private goods. We'll just call them two two things. It, private goods are excludable. So with excludable goods like uh, your cell phone or a movie theater, you can make them pay to play. And so it's like you only get the cell phone or you only get ticket. You only get to see a movie in the movie theater if you give someone money. If you don't give someone money, you're excluded from the value that's created. But if you are you know, uh, creating a healthy ecosystem, cleaning rivers, or if you are helping the homeless, or, uh, you know, uh, providing a radio signal. Uh, all of these things are non-explicable. You can't stop someone from enjoying the value you're seducing. So there's no customers. Business models don't work. But we can build regenerative systems, going a layer up, creating an issuance of a token and distributing it to people who are the providing value, and then save demand for that token so that, uh, there is, so that tokens that are issued actually have some real value as a use case, And that's the, that's the key to being a genuine, is, is creating more demand than you're issuing. And it's very basic and it's really difficult, uh, but Bitcoin has done it, Ethereum has done it. My God, you know, uh, Namecoin, Purecoin, SharePoint, there's all these old tokens Old blockchains that have actually used this technique where they don't use taxes, they don't use uh, donations, they use issues to actually reward contributors and then uh, who are creating a network that anyone can access and utilize. And these, these blockchains, like, like Zcash, is another one, they, they found ways to actually advance their, their pods without having. To uh, to use donations or taxes, they use issuance. And I think you can do the same for any nonprofit or government service. It's just publicity.
0: And to be as cynical as possible, in, in the traditional world, right? One of the the large demand drivers of public goods funding through charities and nonprofits would be the, the tax shields that you do get for doing it are there any external demand drivers in these sort of decentralized public goods funding models outside just wanting to fund these projects
1: well this is what we're trying to create right like you know a tax deduction at best was going to give you a 50 percent loss you know like you really can't the tax deductions at least the way i understand that they work is that when you donate a thousand dollars then you can take $1,000 off of your income, right? And so you pay less taxes because instead of making $60,000, you made $59,000. But you still, uh, you gave up $1,000 and you weren't gonna pay that whole $1,000 to the government. You, you still lost money. So even with tax deductions, it's a guaranteed loss of let's just say 50%. If we can create an economy and you actually have upside where you can make money. I mean, $500 billion is being donated in just the U.S. uh, year over year. $500 billion. How much would be donated if it could be, instead of donated, it's invested? That there could actually be financial upside to go along with the, the social and environmental and all the other upsides that you're creating with your donations, what if you took out the one negative side, the one negative dimension, which is the financial dimension, and made, gave it uh, a risk on potential? You know, it's still going to be a risky investment. But you know what's crazy? Is if you lost 30% on your investment, that would be a win. That would still be better than a donation. So we don't even have, the bar is so low for these impact outs, for so these regional economies, commons, whatever you want to call them, the bar is so low, you just have to be not as bad as to And at least to start, that would be a huge success and would drive large amounts of money into the space. And uh, if we can actually make it profit there, that's when we start going into the realm of building a new structure for society where organizations are actually competing to provide public services as opposed to having a government with a monopoly over every public that's vertical. Right? we could actually have people be, like, responding to the demand of society as fast as they do in the, in the capitalist game, where it's like everyone's pushing to get the new iPhone, get the new Android app. I mean, what if we were trying to figure out how to help the homeless the best and clean the was the best as, as much as we have that in capitalism?
0: And so you bring a, bring a very interesting idea here. So you said at the very beginning of this podcast, where we are now is not for profits are filling in the, the areas of service provision that governments aren't doing. Uh, so sort of like niche, niche, smaller areas. And then in the future, it'll be any kind of service that the government provides for public goods, are uh, these nonprofits are providing in a, in a profit sharing system. Where, where is sort of the, the middle ground that you see being uh, encroached upon and sort of progressed in the next three to five years um, in between those two sort of yardsticks?
1: So three to five years, that means in, in crypto terms, that's probably one bull cycle. And I think uh, in, in the, and I don't know how crypto savvy is, I assume that crypto savvy, but I, I've been around since 2013 and I've seen enough of these cycles. And I think in the next, in just in the next cycle, I think we can get to the part where nonprofits, where we have huge success with nonprofit boards that are doing on the ground work. And I, I I think that we will see large organizations. We'll start to see large foundations with huge endowments. We're talking, you know, uh, there, in in twenty seventeen, I just I was trying to find the stat. The best stat I could find was 2017. in twenty seventeen. In twenty seventeen, it's 1.7 trillion. In dollars in endowments in just the U.S. 1.7 trillion dollars. This is huge. That's like, that's that's uh, such a large number that maybe if, if just a quarter of a percent of those endowments, maybe a percent of the U.S. endowments start investing into the impact-style space, then that would be four, uh, $4 billion coming in to support the development of impact. Um, uh yeah, that and I think that's where we're going to get to in five years, where traditional nonprofit foundations are starting to see some of the nonprofits they used to work with start DAOs, and be like, oh wait, we were donating to you, now, uh, and we're donating from our endowment just the interest we're earning. Now we're actually going to invest in you, and this will be part of the risky side of the portfolio, and we're going to start like actually. Seeing if we can get some upside in the projects that we really want to succeed,
0: and then in 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 the most sort of philosophical, in some ways anarchist terms, <laughs> in in your vision where these nonprofits become global service providers and they do consume the the public goods market, do you, what, what is the role for government in your vision there? What is it, is, is it an entirely perfect decentralized governance?
1: no no I, I there's no utopia there's no utopia it's always going to be competing challenges and organizations doing good things and bad things uh whether it's a government or a DAO you know power corrupts so uh the cool thing with DAOs is there is no absolute power so it can't corrupt absolutely uh there's always going to be competition and that these organizations should be held accountable to to the public domain so uh that uh, in the, in this perfect vision uh, governments would continue to provide services. You know, there, there's going to be a, uh, it's going to be really hard to do national defense, for instance. That's not something that I see a DAO taking on anytime soon. Uh, there, there's going to be services that the government, uh, that a traditional governance system that we're used to, you know, a democracy and that um, takes on. But I think that a lot of the services, that they're not doing well, and that clearly they don't want to do that, will just be replaced and and it won't be like a bloody revolution. It will be an evolution, an evolution of social dynamics and social organization. So now, and and what I really want to see and what I I believe is possible, right now, when I was talking about public goods and private goods, uh, a lot of the towns, public goods are actually uh, privatized, right? And made excludable. So think of, like, fish in a bay. I mean, this isn't really an example of privatization, but it, it's, a, it's an example of exchanging. Fish in a bay, uh, th- this is traditionally a public good or a common pool fish. But what the state does, what governments usually do, is they say, actually, you can't fish in the bay. If we overfish the bay, there'll be no fish. So uh, you have to buy a fishing license. We'll buy a fishing license, otherwise... We'll attack you if you go fishing, you know, like we'll give you a ticket or whatever, you know, we'll take your fish. Uh, and so they took something that was non-excludable and later excludable. But I actually think if they succeed at building systems, uh, on this side, uh, on the public good side, they take things that are traditionally excludable and make them non-excludable. Think about housing, food, uh, and, and all the like basic needs of humanity. Uh this is this is how we get the, the real solutions that that we give, we deserve as a society, as such a wealthy society. We just have to build systems that work. And then those systems will mostly take over and solve the problems that we really need solved. Which like how is it how much fuel is the beauty and people don't? That is doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any logical sense from you know a ten mile highway. But it's because it sits in with the it. If we can get this you know, basic things should just be sleep for society. Basic things you know, you know, people shouldn't have to look so There, are it shouldn't fund it. There, there's been a seventy that emerged out of, out of uh, just building a better system, at, uh, for for this kind value creation.
0: Do you say you you highlighted defense earlier as one where there are obvious are scale challenges. Obviously, governments provide like massive, wide-ranging services oftentimes at that kind of level of scale. Are there any others that you see that might be a bit difficult for impact DAOs to tackle? Like One, one that comes to mind for myself are things like healthcare and education. Do you see that being sort of fragmented by the DAO, or how does that play out in your mind?
1: Um, I, I think education can definitely be done by DAOs. And I, I think it could be done better by Dallas. You know, it's it's really about um, how big your organization is. You know, the uh, national defense and other national level structures are really valuable and difficult to do from the bottom up. Because they're just so big. But like, education and health you know, different things have different demands. Honestly, I'm not a fan of the Western United yeah. system or the Western education system. And and so, my aren't served by by the traditional systems that are in place because they're very top down and, and largely files. But you know, if if a hippie like myself can go uh, can join a, a DAO that provides uh, you know massages and acupuncture and, and uh, health health strategies using food and these sorts of things, uh, then then I would actually be better served by this kind of health feedback. Uh, as opposed to a large top-down, like scalable solution, Like we have lots of solutions that, every use, you know, some people want a small phone, some people want a big phone, you know, and and that's why they're all devoted to uh, the that people's desires and not. and and I think that they build systems that work in the public goods realm using economics, then then. People's use public like non-excludable value that also do to nest in the way that they want
0: Where what do you see being sort of the big big challenges and roadblocks in achieving that vision?
1: You know, at this stage I I don't see a way around. Honestly, I, I feel like it's going to happen. Uh there's I think the the probably the biggest roadblock is honestly with the students that really need this right now. Like I'm in Costa Rica, and the road to that, you know, we 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 need systems that work in Latin America a lot more than we need systems that work in the States or in Australia or in the UK or or Western society. But most of the capital and most of the innovation in the blockchain space is happening in Western society. And so the problems that they're trying to solve is like and, you know, all, all like, how do we make more money with money? Uh, we're not solving how do we pave the road that everyone was driving outside. Uh, because that's not a problem for the people who are actually in uh, and slaying the dudes. So I think the biggest challenge was uh, um, bringing warm, dignified people, people to the paths we all need in this space and getting them to help develop this path and also bringing it to like, Honestly, the biggest problem in crypto is fee management. Fee management, private key management is just such a disaster. Uh, it's so difficult. How many people do you know that have been scammed? How many people do you know that have lost their fees? Uh, it's a real you know, challenge, and there aren't the really the solutions. And I think that's going to be the biggest drawback. You know, uh, these just, you know, people uh, people are going to have challenges adopting a system. If they, they can't really participate, it's all to that instance, but she is just
0: too high. Have you looked at any solutions to make what you're building at Giveth, say, more participatory or accessible and, and sort of obviate away some of those more complex uh, Web3 UX issues?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, we're trying. So you can actually start, if you have a nonprofit, uh, and you want to, I mean, our goal is to, is to take not tradition non-profits and slowly, slowly, print them in the DAX. And so the first thing you do at Giveth is we kind of obfuscate the team management issue by saying you can log in with Facebook, you can log in with Google, you can log in with uh, whatever uh, Web2 platform you want, uh, email and password. And then you use uh, this thing called just forest wallet which actually uh, encrypts uh, a key for them and stores it in a three-fold and centralized way, but um, uh, kind of takes the issue of them with the late the now. Technically, Facebook or Google could actually still take their money. So it's not a perfect solution, but at least it, it like allows them to come in and see if they're successful raising crypto for their project. And and this is kind of the, the the pattern that you're trying it's like change one thing on its own, make it really easy for people to onboard and experience and succeed. And, and then the ones that succeed, pull them to the next step. Hey, you raised $1,000 to do that. You can take your money. You should probably get none of this. You know? It's like, oh, hey. Yeah. And then, oh, hey, now that you, by the way, uh, your donors has got Ginto. So one of the cool things about giving is when you donor won't give it, we kind of are like the web free tax deduction uh we are issuance of tokens probably the city tokens is that it goes to people who donate so if you donate a hundred dollars you can actually get up to 75 dollars worth of gift tokens uh given to you streamed over the next five years so uh now with those gift tokens uh every time someone raises donations they're like they know that their projects their their donors are gift those they can actually talk to them and say, hey, if you stake the GIM tokens behind my projects, my project becomes more visible, I get math rewards, I get benefits on the project, and you get an APL. You actually earn yields by staking." And that next step is really critical because now we're changing the conversation from a donor to a project of being one of Beggy. Like, can hey, give me money to You know, to, hey, I got a deal for you, buddy. You stake tokens here, I Newland, you you know? And that psychological step is huge for us. That's like, that's what we need. That's like the first step to moving nonprofits into the next space, which is, okay, start a reputation dad, right? Start governing your donations as a dad. Onboard your true members to this reputation, non-value reputation token, you know? Start governing your donations and then Okay, that's working. Now let's actually help you launch a token. How, what, before we launch, what's the demand system going to be? Educate them on the economic side of it and say, okay, here's where this, let's talk about different things you can create demand for this token. And then, and it's going to be a custom seat for every nonprofit, but we can work, work with them. And, and eventually, you know, the goal is for Givis to be like the like Combinator of, non, of the impact down square with, bring nonprofits in and then at the end they they have their own impact our
0: stutter. Yeah. And I think something that's that's been present in the space for a while, right? Is is these reward systems for open sourcing information or open sourcing technology through things like Gitcoin being the obvious one. And then I'll also I'll credit your work with the token engineering commons and the commons stack. Uh Give this is sort of one, one of those unique projects that's creating rewards for uh re- redeveloping physical public goods uh are, are there any other projects that you see in the space that are en- enabling what you guys are doing in any way or um doing other cool things that you want to shout out
1: i mean there's so many cool parts so um i get to talk with devcom and so i'm still kind of uh, thinking about it in this, these terms. but in the public good space there's called two types of games there's donation games where you rely on the financial sacrifices donors to to support a project uh, and donate the new expectations of return, and then there's uh, economic teams, and so the people innovating in donation teams are like BitDAO, Optimism, Gitcoin, CLR Fund, Radical uh, Markets, o- Radical Exchange, and uh, <laughs> in, 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 yeah. well all the Moloch DAOs, so like Moloch DAO, Merkato. There's all these cool projects that have found whole cool ways uh, in, in financing and social incentives to using Web3s to actually bring in more donations. But the stuff I'm most excited about is uh, living away from donations or at least trying to do it the best donations. It'll always, we'll always have donations. We do want to donate. There's demand for donations and that's, that's great. But to, to get to the point that we do see with governance, we're going to have to remove do donations from the places. And I really like that um, the sub-NFC targets are done with uh, uh, like rainbow rolls and public uh, public loans. So mm-hmm. they they are lazy funds using NFSA like fishery and NFTs 2s that created and sold for their profit. Uh, but the funds that uh, when they that's their tokens are uh, fought with are being used to support public goods. And this this is this is a wound that is. there's also a uh, uh, Panvala kind of one of the early groups. They literally just printed a token and started donating this to people. Token had no value at all. No one cared. There was like, oh do this banishing rounds, we're doing this vent round seventy-four for there. Hey, but I do there's a million tokens, they're like, what do I do with this? Hey, maybe that may have be been worth something. Now it's worth something. And we got to that day, it's actually sitting, it's on the news Fees we stepped and any further, they just give this world's money out that, to projects that, you know, uh, they, and they're just printing it. They're just sending money and all of a sudden it has a data. It caught on with the man. This is to support of Timbala um, Yeah, and, and there's, there's a lot of projects that are innovating. Uh, impact markets that they <laughs> need the sea. We'll see if we can overcome some of the challenges in the traditional impact markets space. Uh, Bitcoin, uh, and hyper-certs, the there, there's potential for that to be a win-win. Uh, there's, there's very really interesting streaming protocols like Rabbit Gricks. Uh, there, there's a lot of people innovating who in wouldn't really be starting a blockchain, uh, for machine and healthy and way This is really in the space if they don't have a clear revenue. So. I, I think you'd be, you'd be surprised at how many projects just don't have a theory editing. Uh, they have a supply model, an animal, and that is you know, in any public expense.
0: Has that been hard to build trust for versus say like, because I know like say the analogous thing would be microfinancing where you can have like revenue streams that do back the protocol. How do you sort of go about building trust for these more belief-based systems?
1: Yeah, I mean the biggest thing is doing it and succeeding. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's the only way to build trust. And and the thing is, you know, there's different audiences. As long as we're studying with donations in the nonprofit space, the donor audience is very open to this. You gotta remember. If you're donating a hundred dollars and, and someone came up to you, Hey, how about you could have the same impact, exactly impact, but you have upside that you should invest a hundred dollars? I think the person like, be like, oh, yeah. we invest a thousand? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's pretty much where we're at. So it, it's about choosing your, uh, your market. And, you know, if we can find successful projects, like for instance, the token engineering commons, these are our first commons. It's the first one that's the commons that destroyed. that's pretty complicated. Uh, with all the bonding there's, so you to see the reward systems. But it's one of the few tokens that's still mm-hmm. above its issuance price of $1. It's a, only $1.20, but we're in a bear market, you know, and that's something we thought of. Everyone who participated in raising funds for Token Engineering Commons, their token is still worth more than what they put in. And that's, that's uh, considering the downturn. Uh, you know, this, this launch happened in, in, you know, after the peak in about February, February of last year, or this year. So it's all been down, but it's feeding the price of Ether. So uh, that's it, more successes like that are what we need to point to, point to it. And then, and then this will be an issue. It's just like Bitcoin, you know, when Bitcoin launched, still to this day, people say Bitcoin the survive. Well, when you look at Bitcoin, you look at, Ethereum, you look at Dogecoin Litecoin, not all these tokens, doing? You know, but you can point to it and say, Hey, that works. That's all you eat.
0: Yeah, I mean, you made the point earlier. A lot of it is based on on reputation and trust. Like any any economic game is essentially just a game of trust at the end of the day.
1: This is and this is where I'm really lucky in this space. You know, and I, I think that I I hope to delegate this trust where it's deserved. The projects that will succeed, uh, but you know, because I helped rescue 14 percent of all ether existence. In, in twenty sixteen. And then in twenty seventeen there was another fairly empty state path, uh, where me and my my two the White Hasters we were able to steal the money, most of the money faster than other groups that were <laughs> you, you know, not so nice. So we were able to rescue two hundred and ten million dollars. Uh we stole it, you know, and then gave it back to everybody a week later, uh, just so no one else could steal it. These are multi stitch, you know, they're not supposed to be Random people on the internet shouldn't be able to take the money out. So uh, I have, I'm so lucky to have so much trust in this case that I think uh, we can we can help delegate some of that trust to these public goods projects, and they'll have a good chance. That's the shit.
0: Why Why Costa Rica? I'm going, going a bit off topic, but what, what, what was yeah. it that brought you where where you are now?
1: Love, love and sports. Uh, my my fiance was here. And uh, we're going to move out. We're going to move to toast. uh I, I've been nomadic for a decade. I have not had, I, only during COVID was I somewhere for more than three months. Uh, you know, lockdowns are hard. It's a to challenge. <laughs> um, but uh, since for the last decade, other than COVID, I haven't been in one spot for three months. And that includes Costa Rica. It's just where I am now. And we'll, um, we'll keep traveling like that. Uh, I've seen used my fiance that this is this is the spot, and uh, so we're doing we're we're going to keep investigating and and looking around. I really love Ecuador. I love I like Mexico. I love La America in general. I love Southeast Asia. We'll we'll see where I really end up. This is just where I am today.
0: Yeah, I I wish you the best. And the, the last question that, that we normally ask, I'll, I'll give you a choice of three. So we'll, we'll normally ask for either A, an unpopular book recommendation, uh, B, uh, a favourite fun fact, or C, um, your dream dinner table with three other guests, dead or alive.
1: Dead or alive? my God. These are hard questions. I didn't give me all three. I my mind's spinning. No, no
0: you, you, you can pick one. You can pick any, any one that you want. Oh, man.
1: I mean, I would love to sit at a table with uh, Elner Ostrom and Keynes. Who else would be good at that one? Maybe like Gandhi or something. Someone who's like really deep in the in the like public good space, but revolutionary. So someone like Gandhi. And just like hash out some ideas because, you know, Keynes gets a bad rap. He, he brought a lot of interesting concepts that, uh, you know, novelty to to the economic scene. And I feel like that's that's really the, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of Keynesian economics. Uh, I was always an Austrian economics guy, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't that there aren't some uh, interesting concepts there. And if we could merge that with Eleanor Oswald and Tommy now we're talking. That's what I'm trying to build. You know, so I think that would be pretty fun.
0: Uh, it, it's, it's interesting to say that you've gone with the working dinner because <laughs> when, you, when you started that answer I was going to say I can't think of many people that want to sit down and have dinner with two economists but <laughs> you, you've elaborated well Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for coming on Griff um, it's been, been an absolute pleasure having you uh, learning a lot more about uh, public goods funding uh, and, and the future of where that's headed uh, so thank you very much
1: thanks a lot Archie, it was a pleasure
0: Thanks so much for listening to that latest episode of Hansa's Protocol Weekly. I deeply hope you enjoyed it. If you want to stay up to date with our podcasts every week, follow the firm or myself on Twitter at Hansa underscore network or at AHR Whitford. Even better, uh, if you're a best case scenario where this episode has motivated you to start your own protocol, I'd recommend heading to our website at Hansa.network and reaching out to the Accelerator Investments team through our founder forms there. I've been your host, Archie Whitford. Thanks for tuning in and look forward to next time.